you are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Tuesday, February 1st, 2022. This is episode number 206. I'm Susan Sorries, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and cannabis's favorite grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, this show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Join us and over 25,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe and support our show. Today, we're talking about a California bill to make unlicensed cultivation a felony rather than a misdemeanor. A man amputates his penis during an episode of, quote, cannabis-induced psychosis, unquote. An update on Schumer and legalization. NFL to study cannabinoids effects. The Emerald Cup is coming to Southern California. A teen is tackling the industry's waste problem and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Nicole West. She is a cannabis business specialist, part-time firefighter and cat herder, and director of operations at LB Atlantis, a veteran in the cannabis industry and always ready to use her experience to guide others. The show wouldn't be what it is today without her expert leadership. What have you got for us today, Nicole? Well, good morning. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Susan, for the lovely introduction. Um, my headline actually comes from MJ Biz Daily, and I want to say it sounds like they took a pointer from Jason the other day when he seemed to believe that regulating the illicit market was more important than consumer safety because we have a California bill that would make unlicensed cannabis cultivation a felony. One California lawmaker is hoping to recriminalize unlicensed cannabis cultivations with the introduction of a measure that would make it a felony to grow more than six plants without a permit. Assembly Bill 1725 by Thurston Smith, a Republican assembly member from San Bernardino County, or San Berduque as I like to call it, would change the penalties for unlicensed cannabis growing from a misdemeanor to a felony. If the bill was to succeed, law enforcement would have new tools at its disposal which to fight the illicit market. Misdemeanors are punishable by a maximum of one year in jail and $1,000 fine. Through the first time, though first time violators usually are only fined. While felonies are punishable by 16 months to three years in jail. Smith said that he introduced this bill to combat the enormous illegal grow operations that have cropped up in the recent years in various parts of California. 
These illicit growers have been operating with Im- immunity, knowing that they're, uh, that the law allows them to grow with barely any hindrance, Smith said in a new release. For far too long, state lawmakers in Sacramento have been soft on crime, and the illicit market has exploded with massive unlicensed grows popping up all around the state. The bill faces a tough road ahead and its success is far from guaranteed. The Republican-drafted bill in a democratically dominated legislature would need two-thirds support in both Assembly and Senate in order to pass. And there's no indication that Governor Gavin Newsom, a Democrat, would support such a measure. I would just like to say, first of all, six plants is a really fucking low number. I definitely do understand the need to have uh, put a, a curb on the illicit market on these large-scale cultivations, but six plants is a really, really low number. Um, I definitely uh, feel that you know the that conversation that we've had in a big way with the 99 plants here in California um, being a, a place that people thought that they were you know safe below. Um, obviously, that's not the case, but I think that there. There's probably some place in the middle between six and 99 that would make a lot more sense than six. Um, so I just really definitely hope that this does not pass. I do not think that this is uh, a good start for our attempt to curb the illicit market. And I really genuinely hope that we get some voices out there saying how absolutely ridiculous this is and some more um, sensible policies uh, are written in order to help uh, curb the illicit market, but also not uh, completely thwart the ability to to care for yourself as a patient. Uh, and I'm Nicole West reporting for the State of Cannabis News. I was surprised that there was no mention of a mature plant because for me uh, and my medical needs, I need to keep at least three different moms alive and that doesn't give me any room at all for cloning and it's, it's stupid. Six plants is stupid. I'm curious if if that is a uh, you know a part. I didn't read the entire bill. Um, I'm curious if the uh, immature plants were no. listed in. No, nope, the- there's no mention. It's just six plants. Yeah, that's that's it's, fucking crazy. It's stupid. Yeah, Todd Ryan is up from the audience. Todd, did you want to weigh in? Yeah, thank you. It's terrible to see this type of even bill being considered, this law being considered, and I don't think it'll pass. But it's pretty disgusting that. You know, we're going to see this more and more, that the regulated market is going to go after the illicit market, which the illicit market, we know in California, is still 80%. The pioneers get treated terribly. This is, for anybody that's in the regulated space that backs something like this, they can get out of the business. Go go somewhere else. It's disgusting. I don't, I don't even think this is regulated market versus the unlicensed market. This is just like Republican reefer magnus and somebody's grandstanding and it's going to get shot down it's not going to go anywhere i i don't think it's any type of republican grandstanding at all whatsoever eric there's there's serious issues and the illicit market needs to be curbed however i'm not sure that this is necessarily the exact right way to do it because basically um if this law was to go in effect you would actually face less criminal penalties for breaking in and stealing 55 or more plants or whatever than you would by actually cultivating them. Yeah, imagine for seven plants, you're going down like some cartel dude with a big grow out in the, in the desert. It's absurd. Patience is up from the audience. Uh, you're, you're popping in and out. Patience, do you have patience on this? What What do you think? Yeah, this is uh, patience. Um, yeah, I just want to, um, I don't really, I, I, I come to the room every now and then, but I'm wondering, do you guys talk about the lobbying effort that's being done on top of on on behalf of cannabis, mostly because now um, I've mentioned this to other people about it being a window of opportunity because of the COVID thing, because it is a medicine 
You know, are, are, are so, you talking? Are you talking about Nicole's headline or something else? Yeah, no, I'm talking in relation to Nicole's headline that it's a legislative matter and where things are trying to roll things back. And I'm wondering just if this group in general talks about that type of stuff and like whether there is a lobbying effort with our like legislators. And that's basically what I, my question was. Just in general, we're just we're just here delivering the news. Okay, so no, you don't talk about it. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. We do patients, but but I don't believe that CCIA has came out with a statement on whether or not they're endorsing this bill as of yet. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and I was, and I would say, and I would say that we're all a part of advocate. We're advocates in our own way, and some of us have organizations that are going to weigh in on this and be able to educate people why this bill doesn't make any sense. Following the money is always a smart thing to do. Yeah. It, it always seems like the pendulum swims so, swings so far, you know, it's like instead of kind of some like rational or common sense laws, it's always become so extreme. And then patients would again be penalized. Nicole, since you mentioned a number in between that number seven and 99, since the plant is a female, would you feel more comfortable if the 69 plants was the limit? Oh my! I Here think that'd go. be a great number, Jason. I, I don't know that it's relevant, but I think it'd be a great. Let's number. do it. Let's fight for sixty nine. I, I, you know, I, I got. Let's fight for sixty nine. I got a little high this morning, and I forgot to keep time. Uh, so I think we're probably there. But um, is better than sixty four. Sixty nine all year for you. Ooh, this, this I, <laughs> Speaking of that, let's move on to Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What have you got for us today, Rico? My story is coming out of IFL Science. Man completely amputated his penis and episode of cannabis-induced psychosis. So trigger warnings all over this story. It contains me talking about dicks, weed making dudes cut off their own dicks, and bro science in very graphic detail. You have been warned. Over the last month or so, we've been reporting on the benefits of cannabis legalization in Thailand. Tourism is going to spike a huge leap forward for the Asian continent. We had folks reminiscing on uh, on stage about fond Thai stick memories. We even lightly debated the if the Thai stick name was racist in itself. Those were the good old days. I'm sore. I'm very, very sorry to say, ladies and gentlemen, it's all fun and games until somebody cuts their goddamn dick off. This story really hits home for me because I wouldn't be the dope dad I am today if it wasn't for my penis. And reading it made me think twice about the next time that I spark up because I love weed, but I don't want to lose my dick. Out of respect for the fallen, y'all might want to really rethink using Thai stick going forward. Seemingly reputable website, IFL Science, or as keen-eyed Gen Zers might have caught I fucking love science reported on a thinly sourced study from the generically titled Journal of Medical Case Reports. Uh, a man from Thailand completely amputated his penis in an episode of cannabis induced psychosis, or CIP. That's right. 23 year old Thai man had allegedly been using cannabis for two years before a three month hiatus to get his mind right. Weed breaking over. Weed breaking over, he had one of the littest solo sessions of all time, smoking about two grams of Jason Beck's greatest weed in the world by way of psychosis-inducing bong rips. Something was different this time. Maybe the weeds changed since his illegal token days months before, but because according to the Journal of Medical Case Reports, during this session, the mysteriously unnamed patient 
experienced an erection unrelated to any sexual stimulation and started to feel sharp pains in his penis. Intending to eradicate the pain, he decided to trim the penile skin several times and completely amputate using scissors. The mystery man was awake and aware while this shit was happening and walked to the nearest emergency room. Yes, he walked (laughs) after the bleeding had not stopped after two hours. In the hospital, surgeons were able to control the bleeding, but not reattach the penis as it was deemed too dirty and fragile for reconstruction. What remained was skinless, two centimeters in length, and the amputated part of the penis was contaminated with ants. Post-psych eval, doctors reported the man with no name experienced visual and auditory hallucinations, seeing moving shadows, hearing birds chirping and insects buzzing, became depressed and restricted and was strangely strangely incoherent um, and delusional with no suicidal tendencies. Wild. The model Thai citizen self-reported using cannabis and a dickless urine test confirmed no other drugs or alcohol were present in his system. No underlying diseases. No family of history mental illness. Within four weeks of quitting cannabis, for real this time, his psychotic symptoms became completely gone. They disappeared. His medical team diagnosed him with CIP, a rare adverse effect of cannabis, and noted there have been around 100 cases over the last two decades. Now that the shit's legal, who knows how many more like this will come up. They just want everybody to stay woke, and if you see something, say something. They did, however, plant a small seed of doubt at the very end of the story for those unpatriotic enough to question the scientific findings of a generic Thai medical journal reporting on an unnamed patient zero guaranteed to star in the next great zombie dick flick, citing the man could have had a case of priapism, where an erection lasts longer than four hours despite the absence of sexual stimulation. Or it could have been an adverse effect of cannabis. I guess we'll never know. And that's the scariest part to me. And why? According to IFL Science, they couldn't diagnose him with either because the penis was removed before four hours had elapsed. And the man was offered a penoplasty surgery to lengthen the penis, but has since relocated and was unavailable to talk to the team. This is Rico Lamit, dopest dad on the global meat beat for State of Cannabis News Hour. Dr. Felicia, please, I'm not a doctor. Can you help us out here? Well, Rico, good morning, everyone. Um, There's actually several cases in the literature about priapism and cannabis, but typically um, they're using methamphetamines or cocaine to get it. However, there is one single case of priapism with cannabis only. A young man who used cannabis when he was, you know, uh, 16, 17, he noticed that he would occasionally get priapism while he would use it. He stopped using cannabis completely in his 20s, and he no longer got these erections. He started back up in his, uh, at, at age 32, and the priapism recurred, and it had happened at least 12 times, and he, you know, presented to the emergency room. And there is some theoretical mechanism that it can happen. Um, you know, it, it dope, they think it may be dopamine, could be a sympathetic uh, nerve blockade or parasympathetic blockade, um, platelet activation. Um, so theoretically, cannabis can cause priapism. So that's, that's, but, the, that's the thing. But, but will it lead to you cutting off your, your penis? <laughs> well, that's the, that's the other thing. Um, THC in low doses can treats um, anxiety, nausea, vomiting, but THC is biphasic. So at high doses, it can cause hallucinations. It can cause nausea and vomiting. However, once it wears off, the symptoms go away. 
And uh, I, re- this case is one in how many millions? We've got to uh, keep moving. We're at time, but I just wanted to give uh, Cody Peterson up from the audience the last 10 seconds. Yeah, this this story and the idea that this is cannabis induced solely and just because we took a urine drug test means that no other drugs were on board is bullshit. Designer drugs don't show up in urine drug screens. I would love to know the full report on this patient. Seems highly unlikely that this is cannabis only induced uh, and there's no other history of family or underlying psycho illness. Uh, my name's Cody. I'm a cannabis pharmacist. Thanks, y'all. This and, guy and, definitely and, and, suffers from LDS, which stands and, for Little Dick Syndrome. Well, the, the, the guy that I just talked about, he, didn't, he was not psychotic. He had no hallucinations or anything. He did not want to harm himself. He just had the priapism. Well, well I'm going to go ahead and t- take that uh, as a sign to move to the next headline. We're at time on that. I don't even, I wish I had a comment. Uh, and up next, we have Liz Rogan. Liz is a biodynamic biologist, botanist, and cannabis health liaison, and our pinup girl. What do you have for us today, Liz? Thank you, Nicole. Happy Tuesday, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. I'm going to kind of uh, calm things down here now that we've removed these things. So we are going out to South Dakota. It's a little chilly there. So I think shrinkage will stop things there. So my story comes from the Kilo Land News and Capital News Bureau. And the headline reads, counties and cities get no say on medical marijuana. And this is uh, by Bob Mercer. So in Pierre, South Dakota, uh, counties and municipalities in South Dakota will have to license medical cannabis establishments, according to the South Dakota House of Representatives. How the uh, House Bill 1095 would have allowed local jurisdictions, I'm sorry, local governments to present prevent a medical cannabis establishment from operating in its jurisdiction. HB 1095 needed at least 36 votes to advance to the Senate for further consideration, and on Monday afternoon it failed on a 31 to 33 vote. Over two years ago, 70% of South Dakotans passed um, initiated Measure 26, which is IM26, and that established a medical marijuana program in South Dakota. So follow the will of the people, says House Democratic leader Jamie Smith of Sioux Falls, the bill sponsor representative, um, representative, uh, sorry, the bill sponsor representative Rhonda Milstead, who's a Republican of Hart- Hartford, responded, we talk about the will of the people, but not every county voted for medical marijuana. Well, that is true, but I am 26 passed in 63 of 66 counties, so it only lost in three counties. Milstead, whose husband is the Minnehaha County Sheriff, also fell short Monday in her attempt to get House Bill 1094 added to the House calendar for debate. The vote was 32 to 32, and she needed 36. That bill sought to broaden places where possessing cannabis or using it for medical purposes would be prohibited, including vaping in the outside areas of private property within 1,000 feet of school property. Um, They also had H. Bill 1058, which was designed to um, ban a variety of forms of medical cannabis from being sold in South Dakota. On the 21st, that passed in the House State Affairs Committee on a narrow vote of seven to six. So, um, and that's focusing on gummies. Basically, they say that edibles are being focused on children and that patients should be uh, making their own edibles in their home to help protect children. 
So it seems that there's a lot of mixed messaging occurring here in South Dakota. The voters have voted for it. They want it. So why are these bills being introduced? As Rico always says, follow the money. I wonder where is this money coming from? So this is Liz Rogan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Would love to hear what you guys think. Police unions have a lot of money. Prohibitionists. Well, we learned. Um, why is it? Always the Republican states and the Republican politicians tamping down on what the people want. I thought they were supposed to be about freedom. It ain't about what they want. It ain't about what we want, I should say. It's about what they want and how they will profit off of it. Follow the money. Jason, do you have an answer for that? Of course I have an answer for that. I mean, the, the reality is that, you know, um, there's good and there's bad in all parties. She happens to just be bad on this issue, and she's the one that is that is in the driver's seat. And I'm sure that as time goes, she's going to evolve on this issue. And and Ted, what about the other uh, politician? You're talking about if you're talking about Mississippi, they've already signed that bill. Governor Tate's already signed that bill. Two stories effect. ago. Yeah. They're the prohibition party, man. Always have been. Yeah, I agree. I think Jason should take another look at his stance with the party. Well, the Democrats are never going to do anything for you, Ted. So I'm going to jump on the train with the Republicans because they do a lot more for their people than the Democrats do. Jason's <laughs> I don't an think so. They're just as bad. Nobody believes that. Look, I mean, here we're talking about a... Uh, a state that they're saying the counties and cities aren't going to get local say. That's the way it should go. It should be decided at the state level. We used to have other paradigms where we let local municipalities decide how to treat people or who could have access to what. That was a Jim Crow era, you know, and uh, I'm not saying that it's akin to cannabis, but once the people say they want cannabis in their state, we need to allow it to happen in every municipality. I agree. Thank you, Brandon. The, the, what attracted me to this story is what we've seen happen in California. So thank you for your comments, everyone. Up next, he is the cannabis industry's longest continuous running retailer. And even though his conservative values recently came into question after the discovery of his veganism, he's still the same private jet flying mink coat wearing motherfucker from coast to coast. And we all love him. Jason Beck. What you got for us this morning, my man? Oh, yeah. Good morning, Rico. Enrico, you are going to love this story today. Um, today, my news comes from the NFL, where the NFL awards $1 million for two studies on cannabis effects. The NFL is awarding $1 million in research funding to two teams of medical researchers to study the effects of cannabis on pain management and the neuro neuroprotection from concussions in elite football players. Medical teams from the University of California, San Diego, and the University of Regina in Canada were selected from 106 proposals initiated by the NFL and the NFL Players Association Joint Pain Management Committee in June 2021. We are always interested in trying to improve our approach and our treatment for acute and chronic pain in NFL players, and we always want to make sure that our players are receiving the most up-to-date medical medical consensus around any of these treatments. NFL Chief Medical Officer Dr. Alan Sills told the Associate Press, so our burden of proof is really high for NFL players. Anytime we want to introduce a new therapy, we have to understand how that decision might impact their well-being and their performance. We know there's been a lot of interest in this area, but we did not feel like there was a lot of great solid research on the benefits of cannabis, CBD, and treating acute and chronic pain. So that's why we wanted to try to contribute to the body of science in this area. 
excuse me, the $1 million research grant is a progressive move by the league to better understand and improve alternative pain management treatments. Many NFL players over the years have inquired about the benefits of cannabis and cannabinoids. Several foreign players are involved in the medical cannabis business and have either started their own brands, invested in companies, or been hired as brand ambassadors. We've heard from the teams, from the medical staff, from the players, loud and clear, that they're interested in cannabis and cannabinoids. And so we wanted to do something that would advance the science in this area so that we could have better informed conversations with them, Hill said. I also want to emphasize that this is the first step here. The NFL has done great research in other areas, concussions, uh, mucosal injuries, etc., where we're not limited to just cannabinoids. We were interested in figuring out, um, are there ways that we can treat pain better uh, and so we're going to use this, and and this is a, a look at this process and see if there's a way that we can improve this process but continue to try to back, back into the game. Um, the NFL has done great research in other areas. Oh, excuse me. I've lost my place. I apologize, guys. Um, and so we're getting to use this and look at this process and see if there's a way that we can improve this process, but continue to try advance the science um, in the interest of players' health and safety. Under the most recent labor deal, players who test positive for marijuana are no longer suspended, but they can be fined depending on the number of positive tests they piss out. Timing of testing was changed uh, to the first two weeks of training camp instead of uh, April to August. Also, the threshold needed to trigger a positive test was also raised fourfold and the projects will take at least three years to conduct well nfl this is a great step in the right direction i'll say but guess what you're probably at the 10 yard line and you have a long way to go until we get a touchdown and this is jason beck reporting for the state of cannabis news hour hey jason i got i got a comment real quick here nfl made about 10 billion in that in national revenue last year with 32 teams receiving a record 309 million each and all they're going to put up is one million dollars fuck that Fuck this. And also they have not done a lot or that at least have not publicized a lot of their concussion research. They've known about the shit since 1989 and they silenced a bunch of the old football players so they can't sue them talking about their concussions and talking about CTE. Fuck them. Fuck Roger Goodell and fuck all of this. They need to put up more money and they should be have, have, have a fucking bottom line mandate for every team to put up $10 million each. I'm done. Tell Rico, how you really I'm feel. totally in agreement with you on all of that. When I heard saw the million dollars, I was like, really? Only a million dollars to study this? And then split it, splitting it up between two different groups? I'm just like, come on. And the fact that one of the group is out of Canada, and so you're trying to tell me out of all the people that sent a proposal in in the U.S. that you had to go to, you know, out of Canada, um, you know, out of our country in order to facilitate and, and to participate in this research study. Well, I just want to I really appreciate your uh, opinions on that one, Rico. Fuck them. Fuck the NFL for that sad little million bucks when they're making bees off of people's lives. And up next, we have Miss Gretchen Gailey. Gretchen's the founder of Panoptic Strategies, a Washington insider, and our favorite feisty redhead. What do you have for us today? Uh, good afternoon, Nicole. Uh, my headline comes from Marijuana Moment. Uh, Schumer gives update on federal marijuana legalization and banking in meeting with equity advocates. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer held a meeting with a variety of marijuana reform and other advocacy groups last week to discuss social equity issues as he prepares to introduce a much-anticipated cannabis legalization bill this year. 
While activists involved in the Tuesday meeting told Marijuana Moment that Schumer gave vague details about the timeline for filling the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act, saying it will be done soon. He did say that he also expects committee hearings to follow after its introduction. Marijuana banking, immigration issues related to cannabis, and the implementation of New York's adult use marijuana program were also discussed at the Zoom meeting, which lasted a little under an hour. Schumer characterized the discussion as an, quote, exciting meeting on social equity and federal marijuana reform in a tweet on Friday. We're working to end the prohibition and ensure equity for communities impacted by the war on drugs, especially communities of color. Representatives of the DPA, Cannabis Regulators of Color Coalition, Immigrant Defense Project, Women Grow, Vocal New York, and Rochester Normal participated. Senator Schumer has consistently stood with small and minority-owned businesses. Uh, good joy. <laughs> you guys, uh, hold on one sec. You need pillow, you need towel. I'm here. I'm sorry. <laughs> what just happened? Anyway. <laughs> I don't need to uh, keep going in the article to tell you that Chuck Schumer made up a bunch of bullshit, has given no actual timeline on what is going to happen with the COAO. And uh, my dog is a little bit of a nutball. Can I answer any questions? Is your dog a Republican? What's your dog's name? She is. She is. She's a wonderful Republican. Republican pity. Sounds like your dog, it sounds like your dog's asking the, the, the tough questions that nobody else is manned up. Conservative <laughs> Pets is an amazing Instagram page, by the way. Uh, my favorite thing here is that, of course, he just uh, met with a couple of uh, advocates and then he put out a tweet. This is classic Chuck Schumer. The man loves to tweet and pretend he's doing something. He's not going to do anything. I heard Trump might have got his Twitter back. At least when Trump tweets, he actually does something. Shit. Wait, God. Nicole, is that, <laughs> is that breaking news? Something destructive, yeah. Good or bad. Is that breaking news, Nicole? He got his Twitter back? I, I, I was making that up. That I just... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Anna, did you want to weigh in? Um, the end of the article quotes uh, Shaleen Title from uh, the Coalition of Regulators of Color and they're excited about holding the line on safe banking until we can get some equity provisions. Republicans are always interested in compromising when it's somebody else's issues at stake. Well, I would say that is not true whatsoever, Anna. Um, and Perlmutter has said that he is willing to put in social equity into the provisions of safe banking if it gets through. So someone needs to just come to the man, tell him what they want, uh, and he is more than willing to push this stuff along. Um, and if that is to be the case, I guarantee you Republicans will get behind safe banking and pass it. Pass safe uh, banking. Uh, wait, 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 wait. If you put, let me tell you something. The concern is, is that when you put the social equity provisions in there, it gives them an excuse not to pass it because they go, that's a set aside or you can't, you know, you can't have a, a certain a demographic, a demographic of people who actually um, benefit from the bill. And so, you know, safe banking just by itself is not a social equity issue. It is a issue for the whole entire industry. And I respectfully support, you know, I, I love Dashita Dawson and, and um, Shailene Tyler and all the hard work they're doing. But we have to be a little pragmatic about the situation with safe banking. And this was one of the hottest, spiciest, um, you know, rooms that we had off, you know, offline that still is, you know, we're still not coming to an agreement. Pass safe banking. 
I'm saying, Roz, that if all these Republicans and everybody who has voted for safe banking, you put social equity provisions into the bill now, you think they're all going to turn? Yes. That's not reality, Listen. Roz. No, I, think I agree with Rosman. Yes, listen, I don't trust listen, him. Don't trust listen, it's not, this is the it's, best it's time to do it in an election year where they would have to stand up to all their minority constituents and say, oh, now What I'm minority constituents? <laughs> right. <laughs> Give me a break, them. man. Roz and Eric, your heart bleeds liberal. It's so amazing. Listen, the social issue that Republicans, even if they did support it, the fact that the politics in our country divides us more than doing the right thing. And so okay. even though it might be something that's the right thing, you're going to have people pull out because it's a social issue. And that's democratic. And we don't want our constituents to think that we're socialists. Listen, honey. Good point. Good point. Roger, Roger. They pull out. Roger, are you right. saying that Republicans pull okay, out? Okay, okay, okay. I'm Hey, 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 hey. We're going to get a room on this again. And yes, Roz, it was very spicy. It's going to be spicy again. We're going to be talking about this a lot. But we've got a ton of headlines to cover, and we need to relight the room. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any of the opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. She's the author with she's an author with Sterling publishing the metaphysical cannabis oracle deck and the first black female cash OM CMO of fruit slabs, the deliciously wonderful vegan edible treat. And um, he's also seen her in ads for Green Dot Labs, Snoop's Premium and on the elevator at Denver's La Meridian. Up next is one of my favorite new correspondents on the team. Maggie Wilson. What you got for us this morning, Maggie? Good morning, Rico. Thank you, everyone. Uh, my story today is from The Growth Op by Sam Riches. Meet the teen tackling the cannabis industry's waste problem. O'Neill Rudolph is a 19-year-old medical cannabis user, and she is out here working hard to find a solution to the excessive cannabis packaging waste problem. Inspired by environmental efforts in other sectors, Rudolph began thinking about ways to encourage both consumers and retailers to stay mindful of cannabis waste. She felt that the majority of consumers would be interested in recycling if they were encouraged and it was made accessible. And studies and surveys aligned with this thought. A report in 2021 with 15,000 respondents across Europe, North America, and South America found that nearly 70% of consumers say it's important that the products they purchase be packaged in recyclable material. Rudolph's solution is CannaChange, a smartphone app aimed at reducing some of the 140 million tons of waste produced by the U.S. cannabis industry annually. That was 140 million tons of waste. Set to launch this month, Rudolph has already partnered with 27 dispensaries across America, those in California, Colorado, and Oregon, and she's working to recruit more, dispensi more dispensaries and recycling centers as well as expand this initiative to Canada. She says, it's always my hope to have some sort of bigger impact on an industry that really needs more sustainability initiatives. But how does it work? Consumers can download the CanaChange app for free, then they create a profile which generates a personal QR code. Participating dispensaries are listed in the app and consumers can return their cannabis recyclables to these locations for points, 
which can be used for store credit. Consumers also receive points for using a reusable bag while making purchases. Once consumers have piled up 25 points, they receive a $5 dispensary credit. I'm interested to see how this will work with different regulatory issues in different states. The recyclables are collected in a can-of-change collection bin and transported to local recycling facilities to be processed and broken down into new materials. A lot of dispensaries were immediately on board, Rudolph says. It's a challenge to make sure that recyclables are indeed ending up at the recycle center instead of landfills, with Rudolph noting that Massachusetts-based dispensaries are banned from depositing recyclable material into landfills. In states that are already lacking in sustainability initiatives and aren't typically as sustainability or cannabis friendly, it has been more difficult to ensure that recyclables collected through CannaChange will be transported to a recycling facility to be processed for reuse, Rudolph says. Some recycling centers are widely available and some jurisdictions even deem cannabis packaging non-recyclable waste once it comes into contact with the plant. In Canada, complaints about excessive packaging are common and cannabis waste is a growing problem. Some producers have opted into these practices already, including TerraCycle with Canopy Growth to recycle dispenser, uh, disposable vape cartridges and batteries. Uh, an auxiliary company in Canada also did this as well. In, a 2000, in 2021, Quebec's SQDC, which is a monopoly on the sale of adult-use cannabis, saved nearly 21 tons of plastic from landfills. Our very own Food Slabs led the Conscious Packaging Challenge in 2018 with the introduction of biodegradable packages for all products. The company is also speaking with select cannabis brands about potentially incorporating a CannaChange symbol onto applicable products, allowing consumers to easily know which products are destined for reuse instead of going to the landfill. We're hoping to see as many dispensaries on board as possible throughout the U.S. within the next few years, Rudolph says. I think this is a great initiative, and more cannabis companies, especially the ones who are constantly in the PR cycle, need to spend less on photo shoots, PR, and marketing, and more on sustainable packaging efforts. That's my personal quote. <laughs> People are always going to buy cannabis, so we as an industry need to hold ourselves accountable because the last thing we need is to get finger, the finger pointed back at us for causing huge waste problems and exaggerating climate change. This is Maggie Wilson reporting from Long Beach, California for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Did they say what they were going to be doing with the ones, the things that are being recycled that are plastic? Because as of 2018, there's been no ability to recycle about 85% of the plastics that exist um, in packaging. And so as much as I definitely agree that we need to have a recycling effort, we need to be starting with more sustainable starting materials. Because while there might be some company that's figuring out how to like middleman this shit, um, there isn't a way to like cleanly recycle plastics at all anymore. Um, there never really has been. It was just a fucking farce that we believed in because we were importing so much plastic we got lied to. And now the import trade organization will not allow for us to outsource or ship out these materials to China, which was actually dealing with uh, about 95% of our RMF plastics. So now we have nowhere to put them. So where are they going? You're exactly right. And this article does not say what that's exactly what I thought when I was reading it. And that's that's an absolutely great point. I hope there's more I hope there's more information about this coming out or someone reads this and fills in the blanks. Start with glass, start with things that you actually can recycle. But thank you so much for that headline, Maggie. That was actually very interesting, and I'm super excited to see how this develops because, I, like I said, I do think this is something that's more than just finding um, a way to get it out of the facility to make you feel good. It's about actually doing something for the environment. Um, and actually, up next, we have Eric Hislereda. Eric is an award-winning journalist, brand-building content ninja, and a fifth-gen California farmer's, farmer's friend. What do you have for us today, Eric? 
Hey, Nicole. Hey, everybody. Thank you for the and thank you for that intro, Nicole. Um, my headline is from the LA Weekly, and it's the Emerald Cup Award Show joins Green Street Festival. I know I did a double take when I first read that too. So I think most of us know that the Emerald Cup's award show was on its way to LA for the first time ever. That was a move that was a game changer in itself. Uh, since 2003, the cup has been the standard bearer for Emerald Triangle, sun-grown cannabis, and the entire community that represents. Meanwhile, the Green Street Festival and the newly opened Green Street Business Hub in downtown L.A. are closely connected to Hall of Flowers, a prestigious show all its own, but with its own distinct following culture. So when I got an email last week with this update, it kind of hit me like, uh, this is sort of like the San Francisco Giants doing a collab with the L.A. Dodgers. But then I thought, hey, since those are the two best teams in baseball, and these are the two best cannabis events, why the fuck not? So now we have what is essentially the Oscars of weed happening in conjunction with a cannabis-fueled party and showcase in the largest licensed market in the world. And that's a home run. So my hat's off to the leaders and staff of these two iconic organizations, because from the looks of it, this really promises to be an off-the-chart success and a must-attend event. I'm going to quote Tim Blake, the founder of the Emerald Cup, from the article here. Quoting, this triumphant return of the annual live awards show is our first entrance to Los Angeles, and we cannot have chosen better partners for this debut. Rama and his team at Green Street have created a powerful ecosystem, and they've done a wonderful job in creating a platform of engagement for us to shine, Blake said. We're eager to unify our northern and southern communities as we raise the cup and recognize the best of California cannabis. And I'll say amen to that. That's an important bridge to build. Uh, so rather than quote Green Street's Rama Mayo, I believe we have him here in the audience with us. So Rama, if you're here, I'd like you to invite you to come up, say a few words about this amazing collab. Yeah, I'm here. It's, and it's Mayo, M-A-Y-O. Oh, sorry, yeah. Rama. But no, um, maybe you no. could tell us a little bit uh, of the origin story of how this, this amazing collab came together. Um, sure. Um, I, I mean, I guess I'm thinking just going to Emerald Cup, you know, like I've been there for years and years and years and going to that event and, you know, realizing that it was, you know, the best event for the consumer in cannabis. And of course I love Chalice and what Dougie did and what Dr. K does at Kushtok. But, you know, when I saw Emerald Cup, it was just like, wow, like this is, you know, someone's really set the bar, you know? So um, that's why we ended up doing Hall of Flowers up there at the same venue. It's just because I was seeing it for, uh, from you know, what, how, uh, how Emerald Cup used to use it. And uh, this thing came about, I don't know, they just hit me up, Tim Blake, you know, I've, I've, I've seen him a bunch of times, you know, they, they tried to hire me a couple of years ago before COVID to help them with Emerald Cup uh, when they were doing their transitions. I think they brought some partners in and things like that to try to, you know, go national or whatever. And um, they hired me and then fired me like the same week, basically, uh, which was pretty funny. And then... Uh, they hit me back up maybe three months ago, just saying like, you know, the, they had this vision of us working together and, you know, they saw a Green Street Festival was happening. You know, I have a, a, a plan to do a Green Street Festival event up uh, in Northern California as well. And it just kind of naturally started happening. You know, how can we, can we do this together? Does it make sense? You know, is it one plus one equals 11 kind of thing? Um, and that was our hunch. You know, we, we thought if we could partner up and do the peanut butter and jelly thing, you know, it would be a, a really cool um, partnership. And it, you know, certainly has had a, an amazing reaction, of course. You know, we had a lot of press on it and a lot of people and brands super excited. And, you know, for, for Green Street, like our mission, my mission with Green Street 
is really to protect the authenticity of cannabis. Like that's what we're here to do. Like that's what every move we make, if it ladders back up to doing that, then, then we do it, right? So Hall of Flowers certainly does that. Our building in downtown certainly does that. And then Emerald Cup is that, right? <laughs> they are the authenticity of cannabis. So the idea of bringing them in and partnering with them, um, you know, really just, just solidified what we're kind of here to do as a, as a company, you know, as Green Street. Thank you so much, Rama. That We're so excited to go. We'll be talking about this, I'm sure, uh, many, many times. Um, and thank you for coming into the room. Up next, he's a fellow dope dad and former cop who chose to trade in his gun and badge for covering the spiciest news on Bud. He's cannabis security consultant at CC Security Solutions and our go-to guy on law enforcement stories from an insider's perspective. Here to read off all our marijuana rights. It's... Chris Eggers, what you got for us, my man? Mr. Lamit, good morning. Good morning to everybody else out there or afternoon, depending on what time zone you're in. My article today comes from CNN. The headline reads, FBI and California Sheriff illegally seized marijuana cash belonging to licensed dispensaries lawsuit claims. Federal agents in Southern California Sheriff's Department engaged in a highway of robberies, quote, after seizing more than a million dollars in cash from vehicles transporting funds from marijuana dispensaries to financial institutions during a series of traffic stops. Last year, a new lawsuit claims. In the civil suit filed in federal district court, lawyers for Imperial, a Pennsylvania-based company that transports money on behalf of institutions that include cannabis dispensaries, accused the FBI and San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department for scheming to illegally pull over company vehicles and seize money from its clients. The lawsuit claims that Imperial vehicles have been stopped by local law enforcement five times between Kansas and California since May 2021, twice resulting in seizures of cash totaling more than a million dollars. That cash was then turned over to the FBI. These repeated ongoing stops, searches, and seizures are costly to Imperial and extremely disruptive to its business. Imperial has been forced to suspend business operations in the largest county in the United States, San Bernardino County, and has stopped driving through Kansas, the lawsuit said. It goes on to say that if these incidents continue to occur, that there is uh, every and every indication indicates that it will, it will threaten Imperial's business model and its ability to continue providing financial infrastructure to the state legal medical cannabis industry. The company claims in its lawsuit that Imperial and its clients operate in full compliance with applicable state cannabis laws and all applicable federal and state money laundering compliance requirements. Yet it remains unclear what violations federal agents were asserting in order to allegedly seize money from the company. Speaking on behalf of the federal defendants in suit, the FBI spokesperson declined to comment. Shocking. Now, Shannon Dickus tweeted, and this is the San Bernardino County Sheriff, Shannon Dickus, tweeted that, quote, over 80% of marijuana at dispensaries was grown illegally, end quote, adding that illegal cultivation sites have created quality of life issues for many of our country counties, sorry, many of our county's residents. Dickus stands by his deputy saying, I'm confident that when these claims make it to court, they will collide with the facts. So I'd like to stop right there and just mention that when a law enforcement agency seizes cash, um, It'll, in this case, it was turned over to the FBI, but the FBI will then in turn give some of the money uh, back to San Bernardino County Sheriff's Office. So, re- referencing a November incident, Imperial lawyers claim that deputies covered up security cameras on the vehicles while executing the traffic stop and seized approximately 700000 in legal currency from one of Imperial's vehicles, seized the vehicle itself, and seized the driver's uh, business and personal cell phones, according to the complaint. 
The company said that the cash was being transported, that the cash being transported was entirely from state licensed cannabis businesses in good standing, operating in full compliance of California law. And then again in December, another $350,000 was seized. Now, I'd like to note that this article references the fact that no citation was issued to the driver in either incident in this case, and that is, I think, extremely important uh, and very noteworthy. Um, and then the article ends with, although the U.S. Justice Department prides itself on independently enforcing federal criminal law, Attorney General has also historically received guidance from new presidential administration on what particular criminal Justice issues should be prioritized by federal prosecutors. Thus far, Joe Biden has not issued public guidance to the Justice Department on how potential conflicts between federal and state marijuana laws should be handled. My name is Chris Eggers, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I think this article is obviously extremely important. This topic has been covered uh, and touched on, but this new civil lawsuit, I think, brings it uh, back to light. is going to be very interesting to follow. I am super curious to see what some of my uh, correspondents on the room think about this. Thank you for letting me share on this Tuesday morning. Chris, I'm trying to understand, are they in armored trucks? Um, Do they have receipts and paperwork showing that they have this money and this legitimate coming from a company? I'm trying to understand. Yep, according to the according to the, their lawyers, they're saying that you know all of this money was uh, was in total compliance of every law, including anti money laundering uh, laws, and the FBI seized it. They think that you know again without a, a citation. I'm curious to see how this plays out, especially with respect to some of the evidence uh, talked about in this case with um, covering up the cameras, etc. But yeah, they said that they seized all of that, all of the documentation that was totally legit. Chris, but wasn't some of this money uh, proceeds from the sale of a Schedule One drug that had actually crossed the state line? Allegedly. Yeah, that's what gives the federal government jurisdiction to seize that shit. I take- we're gonna do a room. We're gonna do a room on this. It's on the schedule. So um, let's keep smoking the news. We've got three more stories. All right. And up next, we have cannabis's favorite bearded lawyer stuck somewhere between the vibes and the judicial system. A tightrope walk that he walks quite well. What do you have for us today, Mr. Brandon Dorsky? Thanks for having me. Today, my headline comes from Law 360. It's nerd, sweet tarts maker gets consent win in pot candy row. It's another famous candy brand getting their name slapped on some high-dose cannabis candy. Now we're talking about nerds and sweet tarts. An Illinois judge permanently enjoined a group of cannabis companies making knockoff candy products that violated Ferrera Candy Co.'s trademark rights in nerds and sweet tarts. Two separate complaints were filed in Illinois and California, requesting that the courts intervene in the ongoing infringements that were allegedly confusing consumers as to the origins of infused cannabis products. Ferrara argued that Illinois prohibits the sale of the products under its cannabis labeling and packaging laws, which prohibits the use of packaging designed to appeal to children or bears a resemblance to commercially available candies. There, U.S. District Judge Thomas Durkin agreed that Trademark infringement, unfair competition, unjust enrichment had occurred and said the defendants had violated the company's trademark rights by marketing, selling, distributing, and advertising THC-infused products bearing imitations to the nerd's mark called medicated bud clusters and medicated bud bites. Durkin enjoined the Illinois defendants from manufacturing, marketing, selling, or advertising the products, and he also ordered the return of all profits derived from the violations, the destruction of any remaining product, packaging, or marketing materials, and sent notice and demanded that notice be sent to existing customers and vendors selling unlawful product. The parties are currently engaged in settlement discussions. A representative of NERDS said the company welcomes the court's judgment as a reward of their efforts and said, quote, We continue to combat this industry-wide issue and pursue various means to limit and eliminate these products. 
Consumers should be assured that nerds' products found at major retailers are safe to consume. In California, the case is still ongoing, where a business known as Gas Buds is accused of infringing trademarks related to nerds, trolley, and sweet tarts on products like medicated nerds rope, trolley medicated apollos, and weed tarts rope bites. Farrar argues these unauthorized products contain THC serving limits that exceed California's prescribed maximums on top of the likely claims you could expect for counterfeiting, unfair competition, trademark infringement, etc. In California, they're asking for $2 million in statutory damages. Uh, in a separate California suit, the company already won a permanent adjunction against Topps Cannabis, a, comp- a delivery company that had delivered medicated nerds rope. In unrelated incidents, New York and Connecticut have issued warnings about illegal cannabis edibles designed to look like popular snacks and candy. On the eve of champs, I'd just like to remind all our industry operators, you can be original and create your own brand. You don't have to taint the entire industry by trying to co-opt iconic brand identities that have no relationships to cannabis. Here, that's exactly what has happened. And we, as policers of the industry, need to make sure that it stops happening. I hope Nerds and Mars and everyone else ultimately have cannabis analogs of their products in some way, shape, or form. But it is their choice to make, not some trappers. And this is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis. It sucks so bad, too, because it's shit like this that gets, you know, the industry getting thrown under the bus for being, uh, you know, tr- trying to be attractive to children. Um, you know, there definitely was a point in time early on in the industry where you would see things like that. But I feel like um, most of the regulated market has evolved past things that just look like children's items. And this is the exact thing that we need to stop from fucking happening. Like, I'm not going to shit on people for being in the illicit market. But if you want to be in the illicit market and you want to make shit that looks like children's, Go do it somewhere else. Like, please get the fuck out of the United States with this. Like, this is not our – we're trying to regulate this market right here. I'd say get out of the whole industry altogether because this is not what we're trying to do. Yes. Amen, Nicole. What she said. Hey, lady. Trap on. Strap on. It's a trap. Uh, Where are we going? Where are we going next? Laura? Laura or Roz? I want to hear what Roz has to say. I thought she had a really interesting perspective. I can – I can do mine in a minute. Okay. Let's do Roz. Okay. Uh, let's do Roz. <laughs> All of right. Let's go, Roz. You're up next. Go, bring us home. Bring us home. Hey, it's Roz McCarthy here, man. Listen, so we, we talk about a lot of different content on, on the show, but this one was really interesting in particular. And the name of it is What to Know About Hemp Protein. And so, I mean, I just want to make sure that we don't forget that this plant has such wellness uh, um um, capabilities and opportunities. So this um, particular article was from Medical News Today, and, and it's a little old, but it's okay. It says, hemp seeds are a plant-based source of complete protein that provides a range of nutrients. It is an excellent option for individuals who want to add more protein to their diet while avoiding animal products. Um, hemp protein comes from the hemp plant, which is the same species as a cannabis plant. However, unlike cannabis, hemp contains only traces of THC. So hemp is a source of CBD oil, but it has its seeds are also a rich source of plant-based protein. Manufacturers make hemp powder by grounding hemp seeds into a fine, earthy-tasting powder. Um, Hemp protein is a complete protein, meaning it contains all nine essential amino acids that the the human body needs but cannot produce. Therefore, an individual must include these amino acids in their diet. Some experts claim that the hemp seed is one of the most nutritionally complete food sources people can consume. 
hemp seeds either whole or without the hull, or in various hemp seed products such as oil, flour, and protein power, powder. Studies have found that the nutritional value of hemp seed varies considerably according to the environment it grew in and what specific plant type it is. However, typically, its nutritional profile contains 25 to 35% fats, 20 to 30% carbohydrates, 20 to 25% proteins. The most abundant protein in hemp seed is edistine, making up around 82% of total hemp protein. While um, the B, I can't pronounce this word, but cons- cons- um, consists con- um, consist of up to 5% of the total. So let me just go down to some of the meat and potatoes. It's easily digestible. Although, although humans typically digest animal protein more easily than plant protein, research indicates that individuals can readily digest hemp protein. They may, they may be because hemp protein is high in edistine and albumin, which the body can digest easily. The body breaks down these foods and uses a large proportion of the amino acids in a various, a various um, amount of ways. It's a great source of fiber. Eating enough dietary fiber supports digestive health and reduces the risk of heart disease, obesity, type 2 diabetes, and certain cancers. Consumption recommendation, recommendations range from 19 to 38 um, grams a day, depending on someone's gender and their age. However, around 95% of the people in the U.S. do not consume anywhere near this amount of fiber. It contains healthy fats. Um, it's just, just a great overall um, su- supplement to our diet. And so I want to just bring this to everyone's attention that we have a, a, uh, we have a plant that's in our ecosystem that's wonderful. And I, know if, I don't know if we have Eric Range on stage or if he's in the audience. That put yeah, no, he's up. next to you. He's, he's there. All right. So I want to first, it's Black History Month. So for everybody that's out there, you know, celebrating February is Black History Month. And here's a, uh, a, a producer of hemp seeds um, showing black excellence. And I want, you know, Eric, if you could share about hemp seeds and, and what you're doing to help us be more healthy um, and, out here. And Eric, we, the, the show ends in like 30 seconds. So you've got 20 seconds. No problem at all. Uh, thank you guys for inviting me up to the stage, as Ross said. Uh, Hemp and Fork, we're the first Black-owned hemp heart brand in the country. We're based out of Florida. We're working with Black farmers down here uh, to grow it in Florida, fresh from Florida. Uh, And yeah, I mean, as you said, this plant has so many different value adds to our environment, to our bodies, to our healing. Uh, And one of the things that we often overlook is what we're putting in our body. And so our company focuses specifically on the hemp seed and all of the derivative products from that. Uh, we have a hemp heart brand out. So follow us on hempandfork.com and, uh, you know, follow us on Instagram as well. I uh, wish I had more time to talk more about it, but thank you guys for, you know, inviting me up and, uh, you know, joining us on this uh, journey. And the last thing I'll say is we cannot talk about healing our bodies if we're not also talking about what we're putting in our bodies as food, because that's also a part of our healing as well. Thank Absolutely. You Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you, Roz. Uh, I don't welcome. know why it Thank took me. I don't know why it took me so long to try hemp seeds, but they are delicious. They're a little expensive, but that's going to change. Thank you, everyone. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Nicole and Rico for co-producing the show. Thank you to our pinup girl, Liz Rogan, and thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Your addition to our show makes the State of Cannabis News Hour news you can trust.
You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Say goodbye, Rico. Bye, 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 bye. Bye.